0: I was six days old when the stroke gripped through my mother and out. It was as quick and insidious as a bolt of lightning, from what I've been told. It totally gripped her from head to toe. She had been filling out my name form at the hospital when it happened. She wanted to call me Audrey, but all she managed were two unobtrusive letters, OR, before collapsing onto the linoleum tiles. Thinking the name she'd only partially managed to write down romantic, perhaps, or a sign from the gods, my dad decided to keep it as it was. I think he thought he was honouring her in some way by doing that. He's hopelessly sentimental and always has been. But mostly people tend to find it a little macabre. My Aunt Beatrice did. She always said it was a load of hot air and fuss. She loved the name Audrey. The way she told it, she'd suggested it to my mother while she was pregnant and it had stuck. Beatrice was six years older than my mother and they'd grown up in Salinas, California together, which Beatrice always used to say was the most special place on earth. She was named after the Rossetti painting, "Beata Beatrix, which their parents had loved, and lived in Salinas with her husband and three sons when I was growing up, but she would visit on my birthday every other year. She was impossibly cool, I always thought, with sun-bleached blonde hair cut like Stevie Nicks and an accent so warm in its resonance it seemed heated up by the sun. She smelt like honeysuckle, almonds and Turkish delight and I spent most of each year looking forward to her visits. When Beatrice came, it felt like time sped up. I'd mark my calendar with a big red X on the day I knew she had to leave and watch it warily from bed every night until I managed to fall asleep. On the day that Crom crept upstairs and told me she wouldn't be visiting for a while, muttering something about her being ill, I can remember taking my calendar off the wall and marking all of the days with that same red X until every page was filled up with crosses and I was sitting at the end of my bed, staring blankly at the wall. The last time I saw her was when I was 16. She had surprised me that birthday. She had told me that she had to skip a year for a friend's wedding and got Crom to pick her up from the ferry when I was at school, so that when I got home that day, there she was, with all the sunlight in our kitchen flurrying around her like it was trying to bury itself in her arms. And she had handed me a present in a brown paper bag. It was a camera, a Nikon N90. It's one of my best memories of Beatrice that day, and it was a picture of her smiling face, framed by the doorway of our kitchen. That was the first picture I took on that camera. I guess perhaps my worst memory of Aunt Beatrice would be the very next day when we were eating ice cream together on Dalmu Harbour Wall. Dalmu was the place on the island she loved most. She had that very American obsession with quaint British places that I always found strange, And I remember she had wanted to sit looking inwards, towards the castle, instead of out to sea, where, if you squinted on a clear day, you could just make out the southernmost reaches of Ireland. Tourist season had begun again, and the island was shaking off the sleepiness of winter and early spring. Lines of bunting had been strung across the streetlights to give things a bit of colour, and fishermen in the harbour sat next to whiteboards with their Labradors and Dalmatians, offering fishing trips and tours around Compass Rock. We had been taking it all in in comfortable silence for a minute or two before either of us said anything. "'So,' said Beatrice, licking her ice cream carefully, "'catch me up, got any boyfriends yet?' She had got pistachio ice cream from the van and I'd panicked and copied her. "'Definitely not plural,' I said. "'Well then, the singular?' She was holding the cone with a four napkin she had plucked from a little metal rack at the van, and I was thinking that I liked the colour of her nails, which she'd painted a dusty rose and that it matched nicely with the mute green of the ice cream in her hands. Nope, not yet, I said. By that point, I knew I was gay. I'd seen a gay couple on TV the year before, and it had set the whole thing off. I was watching it with Crom, and his cheeks had flushed red as soon as it happened. He turned it off straight away and went to make a cup of tea in the kitchen without saying anything else. But I couldn't get the picture of the two women kissing on the screen out of my head. I felt disgusted by them. Embarrassed. And then, like a seed, it had started to germinate in me instead, becoming something else. ''You got your eye on anyone, though?'' Beatrice asked. ''Not really,'' I said. There was a pause. ''I think...'' ''You think what?'' ''I think...'' But it was impossible to push the words out of my mouth. Instead, I was rushed with nerves as I tried to gauge the possible reaction she might have in my head. Perhaps she'd experienced the same thing herself.'' Perhaps she'd understand what I meant. Perhaps she'd tell me that there was something wrong with me and I needed help. Perhaps I did. The weight of her presence right next to me felt suddenly strange. I sensed a danger I couldn't place as diffuse and indefinite as gas. I felt a kind of pressure as well because I knew that she'd be gone in a week and I might regret not telling her or talking to her about it before she left. Audrey, girl, what's up? Beatrice had stopped licking her ice cream and was looking at me with her head at a slight angle and her eyes concerned. I think I might... I think I might... She let the silence between us hang, waiting for me to spit whatever it was out. Perhaps she thought I was pregnant, or that I'd failed my exams, or that I was getting more hassle from Morwen than usual. "'I think maybe I like girls,' I finally said, casting my gaze further along the harbour wall to our right, where two boys who looked to be about ten were standing next to each other and pointing to something in the water. They were both wearing board shorts and nothing else. They must have been jumping into the water before we arrived,' Because they were both dripping wet. I followed the path of their pointed fingers and saw a jellyfish floating in the turquoise water below. It was pushing itself along just underneath the surface of the water in a series of ephemeral pumps. Beatrice was watching them fixedly as well, and I could tell that she was gathering her thoughts out of the corner of my eye. Her lips were doing a little dance, like a rehearsal for the words I knew she was working hard to figure out. Have you thought about it a lot? The voice she used was the same she saved for Mormon when he was upset. It was higher than her normal voice and tiptoed across her two front teeth, not wanting to make a show of itself. Not that much, I lied. I just don't really like boys. How long have you been thinking about this? she had finished her ice cream and lay the four still-pristine napkins on the bench, one of the boys we were watching was lugging a huge rock back from the beach at the bottom of the harbour wall steps. The muscles around his shoulders were grisly and taut, his face a grimace as he lumbered with it back to his friend. Just a little bit. I watched my ice cream start to melt and drip between the slats and the bench where I'd left it, uneaten and resting on a napkin. Have you told your dad? No. I scuffed my feet then and put my eyes to the ground. Right. Good. She shuffled slightly closer to me on the bench so that she was facing away from the boys and put a thumb on the bottom of my chin, turning my head gently so that she could see my face. You're a beautiful girl, Audrey. We all have phases like this. You'll grow out of it, I promise. You're very beautiful, just like your mom, and she'd be so proud of you if she could see you now. I know that. It's totally normal, okay? It's just something that will iron out. You're young. The boy who'd carried the rock up the steps was now passing it to his friend. His friend had to curl his whole body around it to support its weight, and once he had it in his hands, his back stooped over like an old man's, he started to scan the water looking for the jellyfish again. What does it have to do with being beautiful, I said. Beatrice sighed. It's a very difficult life for those kinds of people. There was a depth and an edge to her voice in that moment which made me feel suddenly afraid. It's dangerous. People like that often lead difficult lives already. It's not people who look like you, honey. Those people aren't PLU's. PLUs? People like us, hun." I almost heard the pity drip from her tongue, and as she looked at me in that moment, her face a contortion of worry, it struck me that she was trying to trace the origins of this new malady, to find places to apportion blame. Perhaps she thought the childhood tragedy of my mother dying, which she'd always treated as a kind of inkblot on my skin she could rub off, was the cause or the fact that I'd grown up in an all-male house. Perhaps it was something sour in the womb, something curdled, that had got into my blood and was running amuck. Regardless, shame wrapped around me like a fog. It curled and crept its way over my bones that day and then settled. I felt guilty the moment I told her, for being so childish, so immature, so wrong. The boys were hovering straight over the jellyfish again, the tallest one holding the rock. He was intent in his focus on it, the water on his back glistening in the sun. He had lined himself up with the jellyfish perfectly now and shifted his weight back and forth on his two feet as he held out the rock. Then he dropped it, the release of its weight from his arms almost causing him to fall. It hit the jellyfish dead on in a chaos of turquoise and froth. The boys' bodies convulsed with laughter, and when I watched them, it was as if they were in a freeze frame, their eyebrows raised, their mouths open. Let's just not tell your dad for now, okay? He's been through so much with your mom, and now Morwin. best not to worry him, or anyone else. He loves you. Okay? Okay. The jellyfish dropped like a dead weight. It was consumed by the bulk of the shiny black rock, and the turquoise space within which it had been gliding was suddenly empty. I made myself watch its sinking shape all the way to the seafloor before looking up again all around us families stood together, laughing and peering into shop windows or holding white paper bags full of freshly made fudge. Green rivulets of ice cream from my abandoned cone worked themselves slowly into the dark concrete beneath our feet. And as I bent down to study them, Beatrice stood up, saying something about how we would be late for lunch if we didn't set off home. And as she passed the two boys, She beckoned to me with a lazy flick of her hand, asking me to follow her.